Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. Joining us is Chris Ortmeyer. Chris is the Director of Agronomy at Champions Golf Club in Houston, Texas. And Champions is preparing to host the United States Women's Open six months later than expected. And the club is using two instead of one of its golf courses to host the tournament. Chris is going to discuss on this podcast the adjustments his team has been forced to make in 2020. And he's also going to describe what it's like working for one of the all-time living golf legends, Jackie Burke Jr. Mr. Burke founded the club with Jimmy Demerit in the 1950s and champions really is the place in Houston when you talk about hosting high-level tournaments. We're glad that Chris was able to take some time to join us and we know that this is going to generate some interest for the United States Women's Open which should be an awesome tournament. Well Chris thanks for joining the podcast. I know you got a lot of things going on and it's been busy. Well, it's probably been busy every single day here in 2020. But the first thing I wanted to ask you is this is a big moment for Champions Golf Club and Champions Golf Club has had a lot of big moments throughout its history. Just what does this mean to you, your team and the club? Yeah, no, thanks, Guy. Uh, It's a huge moment. Like you said, we first found out about this in January of 2015. So this has been four years in the making. Uh, Spring rolls around, COVID hits, postponement, fear of losing the event. Extremely excited to, uh, despite postponement, still conduct the championship, host it at Champions Golf Club, and crown a champion here in December. So uh, we're we're all kind of 100 miles an hour right now, but uh, extremely excited uh, to host the ladies here next month. 100 miles an hour, what does that mean in the world of you and your team? I would say an event like this, it seems like it's always in the back of your mind and you're always kind of gearing your practices and programs towards it. However, uh, probably about eight weeks ago, we kind of ratcheted things up and um, extended hours, started bringing in temp workers and really kind of full-on kind of maintenance hours and tournament prep. So it seems like weeks have been flying by and, and the days especially are definitely long. Despite the time change, uh, it's kind of a Albert work. Something that I feel like is what makes hosting a tournament like this so special is all the preparations that go into it, and then ultimately a successful completion of the championship uh, week of. Chris, uh, tell our listeners about your background and what type of experience do you have working tournaments? Thankful to have, have kind of cut my teeth up at Colonial Country Club up in Fort Worth, Texas, another great historic club in Texas. Spent several years there under the direction of Scott Ebers. And, yeah, we hosted the annual uh, PGA Tour event there. And my first maintenance experience out of school, actually still in school, was an internship for the Bank of America Colonial back in 2006. And by about the fourth day in, I realized this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. I, you know, somewhat fell in love with it. And I guess, you know, as they say, the rest is history. Well, Colonial and Champions Golf Club are two of the most historic places really in in the United States. For our listeners that aren't familiar, how would you describe Champions Golf Club and and what it means to to golf in Texas and golf nationally? Yeah, Champions Golf Club is all about golf. Uh, Our founders, Jackie Burke, Jimmy Demerit, two Masters champions, were dead set on bringing um, national and international events to Houston, Texas when they opened it back in the 50s. And so... Uh, champions hosted the 67 Open, 69 Ryder Cup, 93 Amateur, numerous tour championships. Uh, championship golf is in our DNA, and uh, Mr. Burke, 97 years old, is still still alive and still on site seven days a week. And 
uh, has spent his entire life's work committed to the game of golf, especially at the amateur level, um, and kind of perpetuating the game. And he would tell you in some ways still kind of, in his mind, bringing it to the south, so to speak. So a, a long list of very talented amateur golfers here at Champions Golf Club, uh, as well as some professionals as well. Uh, I think the, the last MGA event I saw, the, the sheet we had, I think it was 68-plus uh, handicaps that were members here at the club and over 300 single digits. So we're all about golf. Well, with, with that in mind, Chris, what type of product do you have to produce on a daily basis with so many good sticks at your club? Yeah, so, so again, with, with good golfers comes an expectation for good conditions. And so there's definitely high expectations and a very high standard uh, here. However, I'll tell you that with that comes an additional appreciation from the membership and from the golfers when we are able to provide quality conditions. And, and, and since coming here you know, over six years ago, uh, fortunate to have been able to find ways to make improvements and, and raise standards. And, uh, you know, the membership here is second to none. Um, they're great. They truly care about this place. They take ownership of it. And, and I couldn't ask for a better group of members to, to work for and, I guess, in some ways with. Chris, what is Mr. Burke and some of the longtime members, what have they told you about the past championships at the club? Yeah, so, uh, you know, other than the Mid-Am that we took on back in 17, the last major event champions had was 2003, uh, the Tour Championship. And so I think in some ways this is kind of a, a putting Champions Golf Club back in the national spotlight, and everybody's really excited. Um, a lot of great memories here of, you know, Tiger Woods winning, uh, you know, David Duvall, Chad Campbell, um, back in that era, and, and then also looking back further, you know, in history, I think Orville Moody won back in 67, and so, uh, you know, Hogan's all over the place at Champions, and so uh, everyone's really excited to have a championship back at Champions Golf Club. Done a great job at partnering with the USGA in order to, to kind of promote the club as well as support the event and step up and volunteer and help us conduct the championship here next month. You know, I was very fortunate. I had a chance to visit Champions Golf Club as part of the American Society of Golf Course Architects meeting in 2018, and it's a unique place. And for those that haven't been there, how would you describe the land and the overall scope of your job agronomically uh, there in Houston? Yeah, so northwest Houston, pretty flat for the most part. Uh there's a reason why we have so many flooding issues. However, uh, we've got two golf courses, two great golf courses. We've got the Cypress Creek course, which has the, uh, the, the prestigious tournament background and has hosted the majority of the events, but then also have, uh, you know, Jackrabbit just across the road there, uh, which is another great golf course. Uh, I'm excited to showcasing Jackrabbit for, uh, for those many people haven't ever seen Jackrabbit. It's a great golf course. Um, Originally designed by George Fazio, opened in 64, re-renovated uh, by his nephew Tom back in uh, 2000, 2001, and they did a tremendous job at, at moving a ton of dirt and try to introduce a little bit more um, undulation to the golf course and, and some a little bit more of a you know, visual appeal and change in topography contrasted to the Cypress Creek Golf Course, which was built in 56 a Ralph Plummer, um, which 
is known, I would say, mostly for its massive greens. So Cypress Creek uh, greens average, on average, are 10,000 square feet per green. We've got a couple of them that even uh, tip the uh, the 14,000 square foot mark. So uh, massive greens, but, um, you know, definitely something that I think the, the ladies are going to enjoy and looking forward to. This will be the first time the Women's Open has ever been conducted on two golf courses. And so excited to see how that added element um, affects their preparations and ultimately the conducting of the championship. This tournament was supposed to be just on the Cypress Creek golf course. How has that impacted your team going from one to two golf courses? Yeah, so when they first started kicking around rescheduling and then ultimately discussing December, one of the issues with accommodating a full field of 156 golfers was the ability to fit it all in in the reduced daylight hours we have in December. And so that's when the second golf course came into the picture. So half the players will play um, Jackrabbit on Thursday, the other half will play Cypress, and then they'll switch on Friday, make the cut, and then the rest of the championship will be on Cypress Creek through the weekend. So um, essentially, Guy, it's doubled everything. Um, while we might not be growing as much in December as we would in June and not going to be mowing as frequently, it's essentially twice the greens, you know, twice the bunkers, twice double everything uh, to prepare. So not only do we need uh, twice as many uh, mowers, rollers, you know, twice the equipment, but then we need twice the bodies to, uh, to help us complete everything every morning and afternoon. Where are you getting the bodies from, Chris? What type of uh, volunteer and industry support effort is there going you know, to be to pull this off? We've had a great turnout, guy. Despite all the um, you know COVID-related concerns and issues that we've had, we've been able to uh, gather support from all across the city, state, and country. Um, and we even had one person over in England that was wanting to come but wasn't able to to make the travel. But uh, yeah, we've got. As of right now, 38 uh, volunteers signed up and, and are going to be coming down here in a couple weeks to uh, to lend a helping hand, a much-needed helping hand. What's the daylight situation like in December? Are you going to be fighting that during the tournament? Yeah, yeah. So I think I don't have the official numbers in front of me, but it's something like, you know, I think sunup's around 7 a.m. and sunset's about 5.30 p.m. So uh, in order to get as much kind of prime time um, TV coverage, they were pretty insistent on trying to push rounds as late into the day as possible. So a decent amount of the morning maintenance will be in the dark, but a large portion of the afternoon and evening maintenance will be completed uh, without the help of the sun. So um, it'll be interesting to say the least, but, uh, you know, like all superintendents, um, got to find a way to get it done and, and I'm sure I'm sure the the rest of the team and I'll have no no problem figuring out a way to get it done yeah speaking of finding a way to get it done where were you in early spring and how has the postponement affected the agronomic plan I mean you're getting a golf course to peak in June and now you, you have to try to get it ready to peak in December how tough has that been so again most of our tournament prep if you want to call them that kind of programs and practices were definitely in line, you know, up until about, I don't know, what was it, the second or third week of March, uh, we were similar to what I said earlier, ramping up and kind of getting all the, the ducks in a row and putting all the programs in place and 
And then all of a sudden, you know, COVID hits at first. It's like, well, we're all the way in June, you know, first, first tournaments there, you know, kind of March. I think it was the players they canceled, and then they started canceling a few other ones. And it was like, well, you know, the season will be over by June, no big deal. And then, as we all know, it just kind of kept on lingering on. And so, uh, in some ways, kind of just pushed pause, like I think the rest of the industry did. Didn't know how this was going to affect the game of golf and, you know, the economics and everything. And so pushed pause on kind of tournament prep and even tried to go kind of bare bones in terms of maintenance, not knowing how this was all going to play out. And then very quickly started realizing that golf was one of the fewest activities that people could resume and, and which turned out to be kind of good. And then, you know, fast forward here a few months, we've had one of the busiest years we've had since I've been here, one of the best years as far as new members and kind of growth at the club. And so, uh, you know, very fortunate that all this has, has in some ways benefited Champions Golf Club. Um, and so uh, I would say one of the biggest challenges with the change to December and adding the second course is we were able to uh, do a full bunker renovation on the Jackrabbit Golf Course uh, this summer. We had enough time in order to, to, to knock that out. So both sides, you know, as far as the bunkers go, should play very consistently. And, and, uh, and yeah, we should be able to withstand whatever element Mother Nature might throw at us that week. What is it like getting everything organized and mobilized for a bunker renovation in the middle of the year? I mean, some clubs have 12 months, two years, three years to prepare for a bunker renovation. What is it like doing it in the middle of a season like you did? Yeah, no, it, it seems like everything happened real fast right you know everything locked down real quick it seemed like one day everything was normal and then all of a sudden a couple things were shutting down and then it was like oh my gosh the carpet's been pulled out from underneath us but uh we were able to reach out to uh we've got some some great partners here over the years we reached out to our friends john o'donnell and doug over at heritage links uh when we started talking about this and started asking them what their ability you know, was an availability to help jump in. Thankfully, with COVID, they had had a couple projects get postponed, so they had some some staff available, and, and, and so the ability to, to kind of jump in it on short notice, and same thing with kind of all the suppliers. Um, everybody was able to, to lend a helping hand on short notice and, and um, kind of jump in, and, and within about four weeks of when we originally started talking about it, uh, broke ground in the bunkers and, and it was thankfully, you know, about a 12 week construction process and, uh, had enough time to get all the sod down, get everything tacked down, seams knitted in. And, and there's a, there's a few little spots where you might be able to see some seams over on Jackrabbit, but, uh, thankfully we were able to, to complete the project, uh, on time and, and on budget. And, uh, I think the ladies are really going to enjoy it for the tournament, and I know my members are already. You've become a uh, construction veteran really fast because this isn't the first project you've gone through in the last few years. Tell, uh, tell our listeners about what was done on the, the Cypress Creek course. So back in 18, uh, Champions Golf Club was one of the few courses, or, or Cypress Creek was one of the few courses, I would say, in the south to, to still have ultra dwarfs on push-up greens. And so... Uh, when we found out we were hosting the women's open, naturally, you know, talks of inclement weather and conduction of the championship and all those things started coming up. And, 
thankfully the Burks, the leadership here at Champions, everybody agreed that we wanted to provide the best conditions and playing experience possible. And so uh, they were uh, very happy to um, kind of pull the trigger on a full uh, greens and bunker renovation back in the summer of 2018. Uh, of course, architect Ted Williams did a phenomenal job. Again, those guys over at Heritage Links helped us out and uh, were able to totally reconstruct um, – 200,000 square feet of greens to the uh, basically exact same surface conditions with uh, with the new modern USGA specification subgrade. So uh, as well as the bunker work, we introduced a new liner and new sand and uh, have two premium, premium uh, I guess, bunkers, if you want to call it that, in terms of the liner and the sand um, that our membership's loving, and I know the ladies are going to enjoy it as well. Yeah, I had a chance to play the Cypress Creek course, I think, the day before construction started. The conditions were fabulous. I'm sure a lot of our listeners want to know, how do you keep 200,000 square feet of greens in optimal condition? How much uh, work, scouting, and coordination does does it take? It's not an easy task. You pretty much add, you know, 25%, 25%, or at least for me, coming from Colonial, where we had about 130,000 square feet, you know, you add about 30% of everything to to the budget as well as the manpower and equipment. Um, it, it's it's not easy, especially airification weeks. Um, shoveling all those cores uh, gets old pretty quick. But, uh, you know, we've got a, we've got a very... Um, good staff here the crew at champions many of them have been here for 15 20 25 years got a couple guys flirting with 35 40 years so um you know these guys have been here for the tour championships they know what it takes to host these events they know what it takes and they're committed to whatever it takes in order to get the job done right the tournament was announced in 2015 i'm not sure our listeners quite understand the type of weather that Houston's had since 2015. What type of storms have you had to fight in the last five years? So I believe it was 15 or 16. We had the tax day floods, which, uh, you know, I think just north of the course here, certain areas had 12 to 14 inches of rain come down in just a couple hours time. And so one of the Cypress Creek course borders Cypress Creek. Uh, and so, we are subject to a little bit of flood, flooding in the creek uh, from time to time. And so, you know, it, it came out. And I think we had four greens go underwater and a ton of silt deposits and, and, and quite a bit of cleanup from that one. And then, uh, you know, two years later, Hurricane Harvey sets in. I'm sure everybody remembers that one. We had, uh, we had 36 inches of rain, I think 34, 36 inches of rain. Uh, fell on the golf course over a two or three day period and uh, unprecedented flooding. I think we had, you know, around 75 of the 150 acres on Cypress Creek were completely submerged. Um, some parts of the golf course for four or five days, I think it was before it went down. Uh, you know, nine feet of water in the pump house. Uh, it was just a mess. And so, uh, you know, we learned a few things along the way, uh, and, and we're able to uh, recover fairly quickly from that one. I think that hit in early August, and by November, we were able to host the Mid-Am, um, who was originally scheduled to be played at uh, Quail Creek in Florida, 
and they had Hurricane Irma, I think it was, come through just behind Harvey and force them to find a different host site. And, and again, the Burks love uh, love championship golf, have a longstanding history with the USGA, and we're happy to, to step in and step up and find a way to, uh, to take on the Mid-Am. How resilient is your team? I mean, you've dealt with storm after storm, and then this year you deal with COVID-19 and a big tournament getting moved and all this heavy play. How resilient is your team, and what are some motivational tactics you've found that have worked with them? Yeah, I can't, can't say enough good things about the team, guy. I mean, they're the ones that really deserve the credit. I mean, they're the ones out there grueling it out, back-breaking work. Um, and so, no, I mean – They've been great. They couldn't ask for anything better. Um, they're not afraid of hard work. They know what it takes, and they're happy to do it. Um, you know, as far as, I guess, motivation goes, you know, we, we try to make sure they know how much we appreciate them, uh, as well as the membership, again, is not uh, shy to, to let everybody know how much they appreciate all the hard work and effort. So uh, we try to do monthly kind of, cookouts for the guys on Fridays and especially try to time that around airification week and things like that. Uh, you know, I guess it's, it's easy to work hard and, and bust your back when you know everybody else is in it with you and we're all in it together and we know we're going to work hard, but we're also going to have fun and, uh, and keep it light. And, uh, you know, we spend probably more time with each other than we do our families. So, uh, life's too short to just spend your spend your days and years grueling away. You got to enjoy yourself while you're here. So uh, the whole staff's been really good at that. Uh, speaking of tough, I don't think our northern listeners realize how hot Houston is in, in June. What type of tournament conditions were you expecting in June, and what's the weather like in, in December com- compared to the June date you're originally supposed to? June, thankfully, with Bermuda grass, was a pretty safe agronomic date. I think it. The biggest concern with the June date was, uh, you know, player and patron comfort. Uh, you know, they're very reasonable to expect it to be, you know, low to mid-90s with 80 90% humidity uh, and, and very little wind. Um, and so, yeah, when, when, they, when they started kicking around rescheduled dates, of course, you know, October and November were in there, which I would have thought was a, was a home run, and then December came in. Uh, and, and, you know, safe to say that wasn't my first choice. Uh, however, uh, you know, we're still excited to have it, and, and it's going to be good. The biggest change with December is the variability in weather. You know, June we have a pretty good window of what we can expect in terms of temperatures, wind, and inclement weather. Uh, and, and there's really little risk in the variability there. December, on the other hand, there's a, there's a huge range. And so while the average highs, you know, I think 65 and the average low is, is upper 40s or lower 50s, you know, looking back on just the last five years worth of weather data, I think we were as high as, you know, 82 and as low as 28. Uh, we had snow on December 10th back in 17. Uh, we've had, you know, over four inches of rain that same week a couple of years ago. And so, you know, it, who knows what Mother Nature could bring. And very, very possible that the wind could blow from all four directions that week. Um, so, you know, 
I think one of the things superintendents do best is, is adapt to their surroundings and find a way to get it done. And so I think ultimately that's just what we're going to have to do is hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Back to, to Mr. Burke and the history of the, the club here. What's the most memorable conversation you had with Mr. Burke? Does he, does he talk about agronomy and course conditions with you, or has he over the, the last few years? Absolutely. And I think for any of the listeners that might know Mr. Burke, I think everyone would say the exact same thing and that he is a stranger to no one, always has time for a lesson, and probably one of the biggest supporters of the superintendent profession. Um, you know, Mr. Burke is the owner, founder and owner of Champions Golf Club, but, but like I said, he's here seven days a week, and he's in the trenches with you. And, and I think it's impossible for someone to be around and on site that much and not see the amount of time, energy, and effort that goes into maintaining two golf courses. And so with that, he is a huge advocate of superintendents. And, and Guy, we don't have enough time on the podcast to, to, to talk about all the things that he shared with me. Uh, he's a man that has, you know, just – tons of mind vitamins that he's happy to distribute all day long and things that he's you know life lessons that he's figured out that he's happy to impart on anybody he meets um you know things like you don't have to get ready if you stay ready uh you know every day is opening day uh he's got a thing called the 51 or the 50 51 rule which is essentially he tells a story of back in catholic school a teacher sat up there and wrote 50 on one side and 51 on the other. He said, you can't spend 51 if you only have 50. So uh, Mr. Burke is a very frugal man. You can tell he's definitely from a de- different generation in that regard. I mean, a lot of what he has done in order to remain accessible to the amateur golfer and not the, the wealthy uh, entitled golfer is to intentionally try to maintain dues at a reasonable level, as well as initiation fees. He's very proud of the fact that he's never assessed the membership here at Champions Golf Club. Probably the biggest thing that I'd say that I've learned from him is that there's way more to life in the game of golf than money, and that uh, he truly is an advocate of the game. He's an advocate of amateur golf, and I think has committed his life's work to perpetuating it and helping anyone and everyone he can to uh, to enjoy it and get better. I can't imagine how happy somebody like that would be to see so many people enjoying the golf course this year. Yeah, that, I mean, mm-hmm. 97 years old, you'd think he'd be terrified of COVID, but <laughs> he's not terrified of many things. He's uh, You can tell he's got the bulldog of the Marine ingrained well within him, as well as uh, the pride of a true Texan. Uh you know, he's not he's not afraid of anything. He's been here, like I said, every day all summer. And, yeah, I think in many ways, Champions Golf Club and coming to work every day is what's, what's kept him alive and healthy so long. And, and, yeah, every day you can find him either in the pro shop or on the putting green giving lessons. And those are the things that I would say not only does he enjoy, but it's, it's what's kept him alive this long. A few last 
things here. Chris, had you been to a U.S. Women's Open in the past, or did you watch and follow some of the ones over the last few years, and what did you learn from those? So I was able to go out to Charleston uh, last year and got to see uh, got to see the Open there and was was really excited by it. Having you know not been to one before, I didn't know quite what to expect and was really pleased to see, I guess in some ways, you know, just the overall size and scope and atmosphere of it. Uh, you know, having spent several years at Colonial, I knew I knew what to expect with the PGA Tour event, worked with those guys a ton, but had never really done anything other than the Mid-Am with the USGA. And so um, really, really enjoyed, you know, traveling out to the East Coast and seeing that tournament and definitely helped kind of get my mind around the preparations and what to expect in terms of the size and scope and uh, objectives and things like that. How will the golf course play in December? I know some of it's weather dependent, but if you get favorable weather, how, how would the two courses play? Like you said, it's all dependent on the weather, but assuming the weather cooperates and I mean, we're all Bermuda grass wall to wall. It's going to look way different on TV. I anticipate, uh, you know, Leaves are already falling here. Uh, rough's already pretty off color. Thankfully, we're holding we're holding color in the short grass pretty good. We haven't had any frost yet. So, uh, assuming Mother Nature cooperates, it's gonna it's gonna play great. Uh, I mean, nice and firm and fast. We should have the ability if we can control moisture to dry everything down. And uh, we we grew the rough up this fall, and, and we're able to put carts on path back in October and. Still hold a decent rough, I would say. You know, not quite what we probably would have had in June, but uh, we, we've been maintaining it at about three inches now for the last couple of months. I'm definitely hearing about it from my members. Uh, plenty <laughs> of lost balls out there. But, no, we, we think it should still play great, but we'll see what Mother Nature has to say. How have you handled all the wear on the golf course this year? Pretty good. So, yeah, I mean, again, I said we were busier than we've ever been. Uh, you could definitely see it, especially in terms of cart traffic and and divots and ball marks and all that kind of stuff. But with two golf courses with really big greens, thankfully we, we've held up pretty good. You know that was another big sacrifice for the membership was was putting everybody on the path back in October. I mean that's what ten weeks of cart path only during one of the best seasons of golf that we have here in Houston, and so wasn't an easy decision, but again, kudos to the Burks and the rest of the leadership team here at Champions for willing to be committed to this event and doing whatever it takes to, to ensure these golf courses shine the way that they were designed to. Last thing here, Chris, uh, you said earlier in the podcast that the crew's been going at 100 miles an hour basically since March. I know speed limits are a little bit faster in Texas than other parts of the country. <laughs> What's, what speed is the crew going to get back to once all this is over? Well, as much as you know, we keep telling ourselves it's going to slow down. We've got some. We've got a pretty busy week scheduled week after the tournament in order to, you know, try to get as much done that we need to get done after the championship so that we can really enjoy Christmas break. Uh, you know, most of the guys still have a ton of their vacation left to use. The Burks have agreed to extend that on into January. So, uh, yeah, we're hoping that once this is all done, we'll be able to get everybody the rest they need and deserve and uh, hopefully really, you know, soak in the success of the championship. Well, Chris, thanks for joining us. I know you got a lot of things going on. We really appreciate you taking so much time. And on behalf of everybody in the industry, best of luck with the tournament. And that December date is great to get a lot of TV exposure because there isn't 
much golf going on. This is really, I think, the first time ever a major championship has been in December. So I know we're all going to be watching with great pride. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Guy. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me on, and I appreciate it.